The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine featuring topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month, learn about the ACB Scholarship Program. And President Kim Charlson talks about important accomplishments for the American Council of the Blind, as well as issues that are on the horizon for the coming year. Welcome to ACB Reports for December 2016. President Kim Charlson recently allowed ACB Reports to ride along with her as she traveled to a conference related to her day job as director of the library at the Perkins School for the Blind. She says that ACB achieved several goals during 2016 and reminds the organization that there is plenty of hard work ahead during the new year. As we um, wind down the year, We've had quite a few ups and downs and surprises in the Washington, D.C. political arena and nationally speaking as well. A couple really positive things that have happened with government regulation, and as you all know, a lot of what ACB does is advocate and work on regulatory policy for agencies. In mid-November, we had the release of quiet car regulations that will direct the automobile industry for vehicles that weigh over 10,000 pounds. And I always found it interesting that any of us would ever wonder how much our vehicles weigh, but any vehicle over 10,000 pounds is going to be required beginning in um, 50% in 2018 and kind of full compliance into 2019 to have an audible sound that the vehicle will make when it's at a slower speed. I think it's below 20 or 25 miles an hour. Above that, there's wind sound and tire noise that you hear and you can pick up a vehicle. But when they're stationary idling at a crosswalk or slowing down, approaching an intersection where you would be crossing a street, those are really the key times you want to be able to hear them, and when they're going slower, you can't hear a quiet car. So if you have a quiet Volkswagen in your neighborhood, it's not going to help you, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have to go out and weigh all the Volkswagens and see if they qualify. <laughs> so those quiet car regulations came out, and we've been waiting for those for about four years. In 2012, we had the passage of the Pedestrian Safety Enhancement Act, and all the blindness community was very solidly behind that legislation. So it's good that we finally got the regulations released. After the election, as is kind of typical for the political environment in the District of Columbia, on I think it was right around the 15th of November, about a week after the election, the um, Republican congressional delegation sent a letter to federal agencies and commissions basically saying, please do not release any new regulatory policy until after the inauguration. That is fairly standard operating procedure for whatever party is or isn't elected to do that when there's a presidential election. So it was done in 2008 when Obama was first elected. The Democrats sent the same kind of letter to all the federal agencies saying don't 
introduce any new policy at this point to wait until after the inauguration. That was a bit of a blow because, unfortunately, um, on the 17th of November, ACB had been working very hard for some regulatory language with the FCC, the Federal Communication Commission. That was relating to audio description and the expansion of hours of coverage for audio description for the top four broadcast stations and the top five cable providers, which are currently mandated to provide four hours of audio description per week. And there were some other provisions as well as some enhancements looking at premium channels and audio description. That regulation was on the FCC's agenda, and it got pulled off the agenda prior to the November 17th meeting. So that was a disappointment because we really had been working on that and were very hopeful that we would be able to see an increase in the hours of audio description coverage. The proposal isn't completely dead. Um, ACB has been doing a lot of work with the FCC over the last few weeks, and it's still possible that it can come up for consideration because it was already in the pipeline, and if they don't feel it's controversial. We believe they don't feel it's controversial and that hopefully it will come up for a vote. So we will keep our fingers crossed that hopefully before the end of the year we might see a vote on increasing the number of hours of audio-described content on television, and that would be really a great thing because we've been running with four hours for quite some time. So to have it go up to seven and a half hours will be a nice incremental step toward the eventual goal of of really getting, you know, full content and full coverage. But, you know, captioning for the hearing impaired didn't happen overnight either, so we're playing catch-up now with our accessibility to television. You mentioned the letter that went out saying don't make new regulations and how that's a standard thing. Did that letter get more attention from the media this time than normal because of the election? I kind of think it did. You know, most of the D.C. folks kind of say, oh, well, it happened in 2008. I don't remember it. But I also think that, you know, it's higher on my radar because it was a direct impact for the FCC pulling the agenda item on the 17th, which was two days later. So it rose to the level of my being very, very aware of it. But I do think you're right. I think there was more coverage of that because the election was a surprise, and there's no doubt that um, everybody, including ACB, is kind of stepping back and saying, you know, what's our political strategy? How are we going to deal with the new administration? What are going to be our priorities, and how are we going to get them introduced? And because that's not—that's not just ACB. Uh, no, thinking. not that's, at all. That's everybody that's ever walked into Congress looking for a chance to discuss an issue. That's absolutely right. So it's right now we're we're really um, doing a lot of soul searching and strategizing about how to map out a legislative strategy for the first few months of 2017 because. You know, we are having a mid-year meeting, a president's meeting, and a legislative seminar at the end of February, and we have to have um, identified legislative imperative issues that we want to cover, but at this time, they're not going to be 
support this bill, support that bill, because it's a new Congress. Um, all legislation that doesn't make it in the current Congress that ends in a couple weeks is going to die, and it'll have to be reintroduced. So I think the climate for introducing legislation is going to be a lot more cautious. Um, we're going to have to do a lot more building of teams and collaborations to get supporters for any kind of legislation we think we might need to have and really take a look at what our issues are going to be and what our what our strategies and our and our objectives are going to be so that we can be effective and not advocating for something that just isn't going to go anywhere in this political climate right now. That's kind of a challenging uh, agenda to have to, to come up with because a lot of the issues and programs and legislation that we might like to have do involve money. And, you know, I'm not sure that there's going to be a lot of money for new programming and that kind of thing. So, you know, we're really going to have to take it step by step. On the other hand, the team building is kind of an ongoing thing that happens anyway. It's just uh, more crucial with the new Congress and with the new administration. you got to sort of back up and, in many cases, rebuild part of the team because part yeah. of the team is not there now. Well, that's right. It's a, it's a lot of relationship building because, you know, a whole new set of players are moving into town and they're going to have staff that we need to meet and get to know. And, you know, the White House will probably have somebody involved in a major disability policy role, and we're going to have to get to know them. So there is a lot of relationship building that's a major part of the next few months. The other piece of good news that came out and was a total surprise to me came from the Department of Justice about two and a half, three weeks ago, um, and that was the Department of Justice issued regulations regarding audio description in movie theaters and um, a mandate to um, provide audio description and access to closed captioning for deaf and hard of hearing. And once that rule is published in the Federal Register, um, it will go into effect in 45 days. So that rule may go into effect right around the inauguration. And what it does is um, mandate that um, movie theaters will provide audio-described equipment and make it available in working order and good condition. And if the theater does not currently have audio description capacity, that the theater will obtain the equipment to provide audio-described and captioned movies within 18 months. I find it interesting to me that this regulation came from the Department of Justice. There was a notice of proposed rulemaking back in 2011 asking lots of questions about audio description in movie theaters and what is it that the community needs and what's the capacity and, you know, all sorts of questions. And ACB spent quite a bit of time, um, and I was part of the team, to design our response to those questions, and it was quite a lengthy response about audio description in movie theaters. So we've been waiting for the regs to come out for five years on audio description in movie theaters. So it was a total surprise and um, one that's you know, certainly worth waiting for because it's going to have a major impact on people's ability to go to the movies and have audio described content. This came out after that uh, memo that we talked about earlier. 
will that have any impact on them? I think that's a very good question, but I'm pretty sure that it will not, because I don't think the Department of Justice would have issued it if they didn't realize that legally they would stand up and they couldn't be recalled. And I think the intention is to get it into the Federal Register so that the 45 days will happen before the inauguration. So they will be in effect. That doesn't mean they couldn't be rolled back, but it's a little harder to do that. So I guess in closing, I would just say to everyone to um, enjoy the holiday season and be grateful for the programs and services that we have and be prepared in 2017 to help ACB advocate and make sure that we don't slide back with any of our rights, our services, and our programs that are so important to the blindness community. That was Kim Charlson, president of the American Council of the Blind. She spoke with ACB Reports on December 2nd, 2016. From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports. ACB Reports now turns to an important element of the future of any organization, today's students. During each annual conference of the American Council of the Blind, ACB presents a number of scholarships to deserving students. Michael Garrett is the chair of the ACB Scholarship Committee. How many scholarships does the ACB Scholarship Committee oversee? It varies from year to year, but it ranges anywhere from, I would say, 16 to 20, depending on how many additional scholarships And by additional, I mean sometimes some of the state affiliates ask ACB to award a scholarship at the national convention. Uh, Oregon comes to mind. Missouri has in the past done that. Pennsylvania has done it in the past. Massachusetts. So those are examples of sometimes where states would want uh, a scholarship offered at the national convention, and we oversee that. So you handled the application process for those scholarships as well? Exactly. Let's talk about the application process. First of all, you changed some of the dates this year to make the application available a little bit earlier. Talk about that. Well, we find that it takes a lot of work to process all of the information, getting the information from the office and getting it in accessible format for the committee members, which is great, by the way, because we don't have to deal with printed material and getting someone to read handwritten material to us. Everything that comes to us is in a format that we can read ourselves, but it takes time to get that. So we thought we would help the office and the applicants by moving the application deadline process back a little bit, giving applicants about two weeks additional time to get their applications in. We start now on November 1st, so the process has been open for a month, and we will end February 15th. So a person thinking that they might apply for a scholarship can do so right now? They can do it right now. Just go online to uh, ACB and find the scholarship link. The scholarship application is there, and then the instructions are also there for additional documentation. The application itself 
in my opinion, is, is pretty straightforward. It asks you some information that you should be able to know those things right offhand. And we also ask for a short essay. That's where you really kind of get to know a person, how they express themselves. And, and we've really received some very interesting essays and just the way people think. That part is very straightforward. The instructions tell you which documentation you need to attach to your application. And once we receive that, then it's categorized and sent to the various subcommittees, and then we go through the process from there. Do you ask for letters of uh, reference or uh, support? We do ask for at least two letters of reference so that... uh, You know how we do. We can tell some good things about ourselves. But it helps if someone else uh, verifies what you say about yourself. When does the committee see the first applications? Do they see them all after the deadline, or do you see them as they come in? Well, the whole committee gets to see them after they've been categorized. We have four subcommittees. The vocational subcommittee, the entering freshman subcommittee, the undergraduate and the graduate subcommittees. So we categorize all of the scholarships that come in by those areas, and then we look at particular disciplines uh, that the students are studying. That's how we determine which scholarships they are eligible for. And some students may be eligible for more than one. So sometimes, you know, it, it becomes a struggle between the committees. You know, I want that one. No, I want that one. <laughs> Talk about the vocational scholarships. What are the offerings there? What I think is different about the ACB Vocational Scholarship Subcommittee is that we look at those who are working full-time and going to school at the same time. But we also look at those who might not be on a traditional academic track, but they still must be exhibiting what we believe are very worthwhile academic traits. So we look at all of their qualifications, and we've gotten some very, very interesting students. For instance, we had a gentleman this year who was a full-time rehabilitation counselor, uh, but he's going to school to, I suppose, get an administrative position. But you would also look at someone that would go to uh, what back in my student days we would call a trade school or what do they call them now, technical schools or whatever. Technical school, trade school, yes. We will look at students who are are pursuing uh, the non-academic type. Yes. And how many applicants do you usually see on a given scholarship cycle? Anywhere from 85 to over 135. That's been my experience uh, in the years I've been on the committee. Goodness, and so you have to take that, uh, just you know, for round numbers, say 100 applicants, and pare it down to the number of scholarships that you have available in that particular year. It's a pretty daunting task. It really is, and I'm so glad to have 12 other people who take on some of the tasks. Each subcommittee has three people serving, so we divide the workload and then the fun begins to go in, look at each application. We have a scoring process that we use 
and then after they are scored, we like to interview each applicant. And that's when we really get to know some of the people that we've awarded scholarships to. That probably is one of the greatest factors in doing this, is talking to all these people and finding out how these people uh, are doing. It's, it's amazing when you see the challenges they have to overcome and the successes that they've achieved. And that's why we try to bring to the conference some people that ACB would be proud of. Give us an example of some of the questions you might ask in an interview. We'll start out by introducing ourselves, and then we'll ask them to tell us about themselves. We'll ask them about why they chose their course of study, what they want to do when they finish, and if there's something we know something about, we'll kind of delve into some of the particulars. We had a, we had a young lady who's an actuarial economist. So we let her talk. We didn't really know much about it. <laughs> she was a very sharp young lady. But we talk about their academic uh, goals, the difficulty in studying with a degree of vision. Uh, we talk about their extracurricular activities. We try to cover the gambit just to get to know that person. That's why we've come up with some, what I would say, very interesting people over the years. The culmination of all of this, of course, is the presentation of the scholarships during the annual conference and convention of the American Council of the Blind. It's a very, very busy week for the students. What happens with these scholarship recipients once they arrive at ACB? Our intent is to get them to know who ACB is and what ACB is all about. The first thing we try to do is host a dinner with the scholarship committee and the scholarship winners, and we sit at the table with a few of them. We spread ourselves around, and we get to know them, and and then we talk about what to expect throughout the convention, and uh, we encourage them to partner with some of the uh, ACB students. We hold a reception afterwards. We make sure that they see the exhibit hall. We encourage them to go to the opening ceremonies and other sessions, uh, special interest groups, especially related to their course of study. With all the special interest groups, you know, there, uh, surely there's something that would capture their interest. And then we have the presentation. We encourage them to come to the presentation because this time we tell them that you are the center of attention. And they are, because there's pictures, and, you know, it's, it's like a press conference almost. There's, there's pictures of each one taken as it's presented. The presentation itself is quite moving, even if you're not a candidate for a scholarship. It's a very moving thing to watch every year. I believe so, too. You get kind of uh, nervous up there just a little bit because you want to keep it moving. Two of the things that happened to me was that I was presenting a scholarship one year, and the gentleman, I guess he didn't realize that he was supposed to be on stage. Now, all the people were getting scholarships, and he was still sitting in the audience. <laughs> and then the next year, apparently, I uh, skipped over a name in my Braille notes, and at the end, Lane asked me, well, what are you going to do with this one? <laughs> <laughs> I had egg all over my face. Back to the scholarship recipients that attend the convention. 
are they there as guests of ACB? Do they provide their own expenses, or how does that work? We uh, provide them with transportation, even starting from their home, transportation to the airport, if, if that's the conveyance they choose, their plane ticket, transportation from the airport to the hotel. They get a daily per diem for their food. They have to room with one of the other scholarship recipients unless they bring family along. And so they get the cost of half of a room for up to that week. So they are out of no expense for the trip and their room and board. Is there follow-up with these individuals after they receive their scholarship to try to develop a potential new member if they aren't members already of ACB? We do try to follow up with them from time to time. You know, we drop them uh, an email or maybe a call, depending on you know how close we get to that student. Uh, the ACB student group has also uh, developed a follow-up survey for this year that we started to send out just to sort of capture what the students' thinking was about the convention, what they liked, what they didn't like, what we can improve upon, because we want to make it better for them. We want to make it easier for them to access things. We want to make their experience at the convention very enjoyable. We actually had a student this year who was not able to make the convention, but from what I'm hearing, he has become fairly active within ACB because he won a scholarship, but he he had a trip overseas. It was academically related, and uh, we kind of felt like he couldn't quite pass that up. Absolutely. Of course, you have to make exceptions sometimes, but you do generally require the recipients to be there. That is our goal, because we feel like we're not only offering them the scholarship, but we're offering them the ACB experience. Is there anything else that you can think of that we need to cover? I'd just like to say that it is a real joy to serve on this committee. It's humbling, as I said earlier, to see how many tremendous blind and visually impaired students there are. The future looks bright because these folks are so intelligent. Uh, many of them are very energetic, and each year the group brings something different. They are very supportive of each other. Uh, the thing I like is when students come back the next year. We have a gentleman from Pennsylvania. He won a scholarship that year, but he keeps coming back to the convention. He keeps coming back and helping uh, other students, and that just warms my heart. That's the kind of networking that you certainly hope occurs. Yes. That was ACB Scholarship Committee Chair Michael Garrett. As another year of ACB Reports draws to a close, may the holidays you celebrate be celebrated with friends, family, and good health. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide on side four of the Braille Forum cassette edition and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Send suggestions and comments about this program to reports at acbradio.org. 
Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.